Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. We're getting closer to the one-year anniversary. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders and certainly hope it has been beneficial. In addition, thank you for all the support you have provided on the book that was recently published, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are, you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. Paperback, ebook, and audiobook are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, and for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. What is your favorite sports team? Imagine growing up near your favorite team and then end up landing an internship and 35 years later you're still with the same franchise. Our next guest was able to live the dream and has had a very successful career. As I'm excited to have Joe Strom, Vice President of Ticket Sales for the St. Louis Cardinals. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Travis. Joe, I'm certainly excited for our conversation today and looking forward to hearing all the advice you have for the listeners. So let's start where we kicked it off. You grew up in a small town outside of St. Louis of just 3,000 people. You were one of seven boys. So what was the competition like growing up? Oh, boy, that was a competitive nature. I grew up there. It's a small town, Marshall, Illinois, about halfway between here and Indianapolis, a farming community. Uh, I was number six of seven. Think about that, seven boys. <laughs> I always think my mom was a saint. She lived uh, back to be 84, raising, I say seven boys. It's really eight boys when you put dad in that. Put the well. dad, the yeah. One thing about having all the boys being six to seven, I never got picked on at school, but boy, did I get picked on at home. And the other great thing is we didn't have to wait for neighbors to come over to play sports. We always had enough to, to have games in our backyard. I was going to say, you had a full team already. Well, you know, Joe, along those lines, you mentioned to, to me in the past that your dad was a very hard worker and, and certainly provided a great life for you and your family. So how was that work ethic instilled in you at such a young age? Yeah, the one thing about dad is is his whole purpose was to provide for a, for his family. And dad was a farmer. He also worked at a chemical plant to provide for the family. And the one thing I always remember about dad is we were a sports family and he would be at our sporting events unless he was working. And now I look back and think about how many times he was there and probably needed some sleep, but he was there for us versus maybe getting a couple hours extra sleep. Dad was the hardest working person I was ever around, the strongest person I was ever around. And he instilled that into us that if you're going to do something, if someone hires you to do something, you give them a full effort, and uh, and that's what you owe that individual. And you've certainly done a great job, and that's why I'm excited to talk about your career path and your work ethic. And, you know, as you're growing up, you know, six of seven boys, a few of your brothers end up going to Eastern Illinois. But, you know, you still had no idea sports, you know, let alone the Cardinals is what you wanted to do when it's time to start your career, right? Yeah, four of the seven uh, went to college. Uh, that was something that was important to our parents is for us to go to college, and four of the seven went to, to Eastern Illinois University. 
And uh, now I will say I chose Eastern Illinois probably for a bad reason. I went there because my brothers went there. We didn't right. shop around universities like we do now. But you know what? Right. It turned out to be a great experience going to Eastern Illinois. Uh, I wasn't for sure what I wanted to do. I thought going in maybe teacher coach. But it really came down to there was a key article um, in, in the USA Today that probably changed my career path. I remember meeting with my advisor, and I had a wonderful advisor, and she was, it was like my sophomore year, what do you really want to do? And I said, here's an article I just read about working in the business of sport, and it was talking about at that time there were only four universities that were offering it. I may be missing one here, but I think it was Ohio University, UMass, I think it was Biscayne College, which is now, I think, St. Thomas, down your way. Down in Florida, uh, yep. And then I think the other one was Western Illinois had a master's program. And I said, this is something that I would think I would like to do. Well, Dr. Hart, my advisor, said, you know what? We can look at doing something like this and, and, and basically build you a customized degree and a, a customized path. But what I'm going to do is introduce you to the associate athletic director here at Eastern Illinois and see if you can work in, in the athletic department your junior and senior year to kind of learn the business. And uh, I was very fortunate. She introduced me to the associate athletic director. And my time there was really wonderful because I was fortunate in the fact that we had a young athletic director. Uh, he went on to be an athletic director at Miami of Ohio at Temple at Memphis. We also had two young marketing executives. One of them went on to be a longtime athletic director, Slippery Rock, just retired. We also had another young executive that went on to be an associate AD at Clemson. He has since retired. And then we had two longtime uh, athletic, or associate athletic directors that worked their entire career at Eastern Illinois. So I was fortunate to be around these individuals and really learn uh, what's going on behind the scenes in a, in, in a mid-major athletic department. It was about 12,000 people at, at, at Eastern Illinois. So I was very fortunate during that time period. So certainly, you know, it kind of on the listener's advice, right, it's you, the value of surrounding yourself with the right people that are going to teach you the ropes. And you know, what, what are some key learnings that you took when, when around some of those very successful people? Well, I think the key is is, is just – observing what they did day in and day out, and then doing whatever they asked me to do, do it. And, um, and and be the person that says, yes, I'll do it. They can trust that I will do whatever responsibility that they give me. Because I think sometimes when I look at individuals, sometimes like, wait a minute, I've got a college degree. I, I shouldn't be doing that. That's not important work. I always think about when I even started here at the Cardinals, one of the best pieces of advice I got was if someone asks you to do something, go do it. Like, for example, if they ask you to take a box over or, or some papers over to the general manager or to the president, do it. Because the advantage on that, when you go in, they're going to ask you your name and introduce themselves, and you introduce yourself, and guess what? They're going to know who you are. Yep. And that's the way it was. That's how I got to know the president of the Cardinals or I got to know the general manager of the Cardinals is because they saw me and knew I was a teammate of theirs. Right. And, 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 and so even to this day, uh, we, we still have a great relationship. And you're always willing to do the little things, you know, and I think that's what has, has helped you in your career and has made you a successful leader. You're, you're always willing to, to grind out with everybody, with an intern, you know, executive and everybody in between. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And how can I continue to grow? And I think that was the key even when I was at, at Eastern Illinois. I was fortunate enough is that they liked my work. 
as an undergrad on helping out that they offered me a grad assistantship. And so I was able to get my master's while I was also at Eastern, but more importantly than the schoolwork, I worked full time in the athletic department and, and, and gained more responsibility during that time period. So I was able to get my master's paid for, but more importantly, was able to gain even more valuable experience because they liked the, my work ethic when I was an undergrad student. Absolutely. And so fast forward, Joe, as you're finally getting a good understanding of really what you want to do in life, you, en- you end up earning that internship with your hometown team in the St. Louis Cardinals. So was that ever a dream or goal of yours when you know, you know, when, when ultimately you knew you wanted to get into sports is like, I, I want to work for the hometown team or what did that look like for you? Yeah, when I was at Eastern Illinois, as one of the things I wanted to look at while I was there, I said, I would also like to do an internship with professional sports teams so that I can compare the two industries. Do I want to go the route of the professional sports team or do I want to go the intercollegiate route? And so I was really interested in doing an internship in a professional team. And I really wanted to do baseball because I love baseball, uh, uh, the business itself. And I sent out, it was was almost 70 resumes to the major minor league teams uh, at the end of the day, I really received one interview. I'm going to be honest. It was with it was with the Cardinals, and I was very fortunate that I was hired on to do that internship with the Cardinals. So at the end of the day, it was a dream to work for the Cardinals, but if I would have ended up being hired by the Columbus Clippers or the, the Cincinnati Reds, I would have been equally happy if that was the best uh, best opportunity. It just so happened it happened to be for my, my team I grew up uh enjoying. And I think, Joe, you know, to that point, like a lot of times in this business, people will say, well, I've always wanted to work for my hometown team. And it's more because of your fanhood. And as we know, it's, it's, uh, you know, a lot different on the business side. You know, if you're truly just a fan, you should buy season tickets. But you know, what is your advice to listeners in regards to what you just mentioned, taking the right opportunity, not just maybe their hometown team or the team they always wanted to work for? Well, my advice would be uh, you really got to have to study the opportunities, and hopefully you'll be different than mine. You'll have multiple options to choose from. And, 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 and look at long-term, or in this case, maybe even short-term, but don't, don't look and say, I'm a huge fan, because that may not be the best opportunity for you. You may be able to do more and learn more working for someone else. Yep. And and so don't take the easy route and say I'm going to go to the team that I grew up watching. My my boss always has a, a has has a saying and I I love it. He always talks about I don't want people that just want to work work for their favorite team. I want people that want to work in the business of sport. And I and and what he means by that is I want the person that wants to reach out, shake hands with people, although not right now, but <laughs> reach out and shake hands with people, making sure that they have a great experience when they come to the ballpark. And at the end of the day, we're here to serve others, not to serve our, 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 our fandom. Yeah, yeah, it's a passion for the business and a passion for your craft. And, you know, Joe, without your experience, you know, with your experience, your, your internship ultimately leads into a part and then a full-time role, but it was on the marketing side of the business. So how did you ultimately eventually transition into sales over a couple of years? Yeah, I started out, uh, I did an internship in the marketing promotions department, um, now, when I say part-time, back then it was part-time, full-time, which basically meant they paid you full-time hours, or you worked full-time hours, got paid part-time wages with no benefits, which was not wouldn't be legal today, but yeah, that was, was the norm. <laughs> it was the norm then, um, but that's okay. It was an opportunity, 
And at the end of the day, uh, I really thought going down the marketing promotions, even corporate sales side would be where I would go in this business. But where I was very fortunate in the early 90s, um, our vice president of ticket sales, Sue Ann McLaren, um, she had been with the Cardinals for almost 20 years. Well, she was leaving the Cardinals to join the Rockies when they were an expansion team and set up their ticketing department. And, and the decision was made to uh, take her duties and, and put it uh, and expand it uh, where to, among three people. And I was fortunate enough to be asked to be the director of group sales. And I was at a younger age. I, was, I think I was 27 or 28 at the time. So uh, it was a little bit of a risk, the organization, to do that. And I was very fortunate that I was given that opportunity. So, again, uh, it was one at the time. It took someone that I, I thought would be here her entire career, like Sue Ann, yep. to to take a leap of faith and go to an expansion team. And Sue Ann's still with the Rockies to these days. Yeah. And so as you started your, your kind of new career journey now on the sales end of things, what were some key learnings early on that even today you're still applying to your day? Well, I think it was even more from a leadership standpoint. I remember my boss at the time said, you, you, here's going to be your challenge. It's not going to be the day-to-day -day activity of, of selling. Your challenge is going to be managing the staff. And guess what? That challenge is going to be there 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And I look back now and realize I wasn't the best at managing people at the time. I learned an awful lot. Uh, I, I, I know when I first went into managing it from a leadership standpoint, thinking, okay, everyone's, everyone's the same, uh, everyone needs to be managed the same. I was managing them as if I was managing myself, which is the worst thing you can do. Mm -hmm. yep. And I learned quickly that each individual has a need, and you've got to understand what, 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 what they're really good at and, what their and where their challenges are. And um, if we can get the best out of each individual employee, you're going to have a really, really strong department. And I think that's what a lot of early leaders, and I, I know myself included, struggled early on in leadership, right, is like managing people to try to like how you would manage yourself, but truly understanding everybody's different. Uh, but if you can get everybody rowing in the same direction, you're going to have a lot of success as a team. And, you know, Joe, looking back at those early years, I'm sure you never dreamed you'd spend the next 35-plus years with the same organization. And you've had some amazing experiences. You've moved into a new ballpark, which we'll talk about. You've won the World Series a few times, which we'll certainly hit on, and, and went through an ownership change and much more. Looking back at it, what has been your best memory? Yeah, you're exactly right. I didn't expect to be here uh, 35 years. Uh, I, I told everybody when I first started working here, maybe five years, if I'm if, if fortunate, would be 10 years. It just doesn't happen in the business. Now, we're fortunate that we've had great ownership over the years with Anheuser-Busch and now with the DeWitt family and, and his partners. Um, we've, we've been very fortunate. But I, when you're looking at the a uh, couple of great memories that I have, it's actually two. And actually, I hear a lot of times on, on your podcast, I've heard people, it's usually about winning. But I'm going to give you one at the first, uh, which was a great experience. But we actually lost. And here's why. In 2005 was the last year of Bush 2. Uh, we called it Bush 2 because Old Sportsman's Park was Bush 1. The second was Bush 2. Current's Bush 3. Bush 3, yeah. And that was the series where we were playing the Astros. We were had home field advantage. Uh, we played the first two games here, and then the next three were in Houston. And, and if we recall, we uh, it was game five, and we were actually losing going into the ninth inning. And that was the game where Albert Pujols hit the home run uh, yes. with a bomb off of Brad Lidge. Uh, 
And the exciting part about that is it allowed us to come back to Bush Stadium for one final game. Now, we thought we could still win and really was hoping for, but Roy Oswalt was pitching for the Astros in game six and had other thoughts, and you knew about halfway <laughs> through the game that we weren't going to win the game. But you had that last game, that last memory, and, and that wow. was important to me because Bush, too, was not only where I first worked, but it's also where I became a fan of Major League Baseball and of the Cardinals. So there were so many memories in that stadium. They kind of compiled into one, yeah. And and so you had that one last visit that you knew when you left that this was going to be your final time to watch a game in that stadium. So that was a pretty neat memory. Even though we lost, it, it still was a neat memory having that final game. And, and, and there. the other one does involve winning, and it was in 2011, game six, the David Freeze game. Yeah. Uh, where we twice, meaning the Cardinals twice, were one one strike away from losing the World Series and came back and won that game. Won it. Yep. Uh, one of the most ex- – not one of – the most exciting atmosphere that I've been around. But, you know, as great as that game six was, if we don't win game seven, game six isn't as, as, as great a memory. And they came back and won game seven. So – that was one that uh, those are, are probably my two favorite moments in, in working for the Cardinal organization. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Joe Strom, Vice President of Ticket Sales for the St. Louis Cardinals. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Joe, you've had a ton of great memories with the Cardinals organizations we just kind of talked about, but you went through an ownership change back in 96. And so how was that transition? What did you learn from that experience in regards to just taking care of people? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you have an ownership change, I mean, if people are being honest, they're concerned because you don't know what you're facing. And we had such good owners in Anheuser-Busch, and so you're always worried that is the new ownership going to just – basically clean house and start from scratch. You know, we were very fortunate that uh, Bill DeWitt and his family and his partners that purchased the team liked what they had in place, and they kept president in place, and the, and the entire business structure what remained the same. Now, there, was, there were differences because we were corporately owned before, where now we were individually owned. And more private. When we were corporately owned, it was all about selling beer at Andrew Bush, not winning, not not winning World Series. Under the new ownership, our goal every year is to win a World Series. So there are definitely major differences between the two. And so 
at the same time, I think the fan base had the same concern is, um, uh oh, what are the new owners going to do uh, on owning this team? Well, it turned out to be one of the be- uh, top blessings in Cardinal history is the DeWitt family purchasing the team in, in 1996. Absolutely. And then, you know, kind of next up, and you already talked about a great experience in, in kind of Bush 2, but then you ultimately in 2006 moved to, to New Bush Stadium, Bush 3. And what was that like opening a new ballpark? Yeah, and, and I think it's something that everyone is, is, is really thrilled to be a part of. Now, we were ours was kind of unique here in the fact for two reasons. Number one, we privately financed the new stadium, which most of them were publicly financed. And so we really started selling uh, the new ballpark five years prior to moving in. And the key factor on that is we had, as part of the financing, had to have 10-year commitments on at least 30 suites five years out. We also had to have over ten. Uh, uh, we also had to have commitments on. We called them founders fees. They were actually seat licenses for over ten thousand seats uh, four years out before they before you we could go financing. forward on building the stadium. So that was the key. Is we actually started selling it much earlier than 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 a lot of organizations. Really, the, the reality is we had all of our season's tickets sold about two and a half years out prior to opening the new ballpark. Now the other it's got to be a pretty good feeling. It, it is, and at the same time, the other key factor that was a huge challenge on building uh, the new ballpark is the footprint we were working under. The current stadium we are in, left field of the current stadium we're in, was literally right field of Bush Two. So a key decision had to be made: Are we going to go reduce capacity in Bush Two the last year? and have full capacity of year one of the new ballpark? Are we going to go full capacity of Bush 2 the last year and reduce capacity of the, of, the, uh, of the first year of the new ballpark? The decision was made, go full capacity the last year of the old ballpark and go reduce capacity in the new year. And so at the end of the day, the last year of the old ballpark, we had our largest attendance uh, ever in Cardinal history, and actually it's the third highest ever in Cardinal history. The challenge we had as you go into the first year of the new ballpark is we only had 39,000 tickets as uh, on opening day, and that would normally would have been 45,000 seats. Right. So you had the reduced capacity. We ended up having 20 on ticket on sales during that year because anytime we'd get a block of 100, a block of 200 tickets, we'd put, put them on sale to, to get them to, to get people in the ballpark. Now we were fortunate we received the tickets earlier than expected because. It was a very mild winter. They lost one day to weather the entire winter. Fortunately, it wasn't a winter like we've just experienced. Yeah. Um, so it was the perfect winter to be moving into a new ballpark. So those were the challenges that we faced as we moved into Bush, Bush 3. And it, as you're moving into Bush 3, and I, I'm sure, you know, going through some of the, the blueprints and the renovations and the, the new build, like, was there any memorable meeting that you look back and you're like, why was I even in this meeting? Or, wow, this was a, a crazy meeting even thinking about this. Yeah, I'm not so sure there was definitely a, that memorable meeting uh, as much as the, 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 the one thing I always remember that was very important to our ballpark, because we had it in the old ballpark, were the amount of all-inclusive tickets that we uh, exper- uh, had built in the old ballpark. And so we can make the experience better for people as they moved into to, to Bush 3, because we have about 4,000 tickets a game that are all-inclusive. They include the food and beverage. And I, so I, I think that was one of the key factors as we moved into 
the current Bush is how can we make the experience better for those people? And I think that was something that was unique uh, for the builder uh, because and the architect because it was completely different than what was in other new ballparks. Makes sense. And and so, you know, finally, and you've already mentioned this kind of in your best memory, you had a couple World Series wins, both in 06 and 11. How was that experience for you? You know, what was interesting is – Though, I mean, anytime you win, the experience is great. Uh, but those two years were kind of unique in the fact that in 06, we, we only won 83 games during the regular season. We had a very good team, but we had a lot of injuries late in the year. And it was kind of iffy whether we would hang on. And But once we got to postseason, we were healthy again, had all of our starters back and, and played really well in the postseason. In 2011, on August 25th, we were 10 and a half games behind Atlanta Braves for the wild card spot. And what was unique on that is we hadn't even invoiced our season holders for postseason tickets. We fortunately played the Atlanta Braves in the middle of September. I think it was the 9th, 10th, and 11th on a weekend series here. And I still remember um, we were in Baltimore with our team president. We were meeting with the Cordish company who uh, we were working with on Ballpark Village. And I, I remember pushing the team president hard that we have got to invoice because it wasn't back like now where we could electronically. Electric, yeah, you had to mail. We had to send out emails. He said, okay, I will give in and let you invoice if we sweep the Braves this weekend. We swept the Braves. So you're just sitting behind the computer ready to press and on go. Monday morning, he said, I still remember saying, do we still have to? And I said, yes, we need to. So we basically invoiced three weeks before the playoffs start. So you can imagine those three weeks. We gave them one week to make a decision, meeting the season holders. And uh, so that was an exciting time because the team came from nowhere and won the World Series that year. And uh, – and, and and so the two years we won the World Series, I'm not. Uh, it, it was unexpected. There were a couple other years where we uh, were in the World Series that I actually think our team was better. Like the one I think probably the best team in my experience being here was 2004, but that was the year um, we had some injuries and the Red Sox got really hot and they got hot at the right time. Yeah, and they won yeah. their World Series and swept us. So sometimes you may you may have better teams that don't win a World Series. Right. Um, but that's the beauty of baseball. That's why you play the games because you just don't know what's going to happen. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as you think about the revenue side of things, you know, a lot of times when, when people talk about, hey, we're able to get to the World Series or win a World Series, you need to make sure you capitalize on the momentum. And I, I know you've always, you and your team have always built a, you know, kind of a proactive plan to make sure you're running parallel paths with the, the baseball side of things. And so how did your, you and your team continue to capitalize on some of that momentum from both winning or just being part of those World Series? Well, I think the key, one of the first steps on that is making sure that you're, that our fans are part of the postseason. Because to me, that's the biggest benefit is to have rights to season tickets for postseason. And I'm not just talking season holders. I'm talking group organizers. I'm talking party room customers that purchase, individual fans. How do we make sure that they're part of the experience in postseason? And then once they are, let's get their groups to come back and increase the amount of tickets. Because at the end of the day, we, re we are a non-commissioned company here. We focus heavily on retention because if we can retain the, the, the groups and season ticket holders that we have and get them to grow 
uh, just a little bit every year, we're, st- we're going to continue to have success. So I think that's the key is making sure that the key stakeholders are heavily involved in that postseason run, and, and that's something that, that we definitely have done. No, absolutely. And, you know, I always ask this question on the guests here on 52 Weeks of Hustle that have won a, a ring. Do you wear either of them? I do not. Uh, one of the things I think is cool about the rings, though, is I have two boys. It's a nice keepsake to hand down to them. I, yep. also, I, have, two, I have two World Series and two National League Championship rings. Those are nice keepsakes to hand down to them, and, and I know yep. that's what is, is pretty exciting to me. Um, one of the things that I always hate in this business is my, my dad always wanted me and wanted to see a ring and wanted us to have a ring, and unfortunately he passed the year before we got the first ring. So uh, that's one thing I hate in the business, but I'm glad I have something to hand down to the to, to my two boys. boys. Absolutely. You know, so, Joe, for, for yourself, you know, throughout your leadership experience, you, you've moved your way up multiple times into ultimately the role you're at now. What do you feel like you've done on a consistent basis to continue to grow your career, you know, specifically internally? Well, I think one my, my one of my key – sayings that I that I use is is own the current position you're in. I think so many people go into any business and they they, they, they want to be a director, they want to be a vice president right away. I mean, I always say I've never seen a president hired out of college. I mean, right. you've got to work your way up to that position. So if you're an intern, be the best intern they have. If you're an account executive, be the best account executive that the organization has. Don't worry about the next position. I think too many people worry about the next position. Yep. No, that's great, great advice. And, you know, Joe, for yourself, I know you've had many calls and opportunities over the years to join other organizations, but you've been able to continue to grow internally and, and really build a brand for yourself with the Cardinals. So what were some of those key factors in making those decisions to, to stay put throughout your career? Yeah, that's a great question because if you would have asked me when I started this business, I wouldn't have said I would have remained here. I would have moved on. But I think some of it's work-life balance. I think the family really is probably one of the key factors. I'm not one that is worried, was going to chase a title. I'm not one that was going to move just because I could make more money. I wanted to make sure that I was happy who I was working for. And I've always been fortunate that we've had two great ownerships with Anheuser-Busch and the DeWitt family. But I think the other key factor – was was and this was huge was my family uh at the end of the day my wife vicky gave up an awful lot for me to be in this business we're high school sweethearts and we got married at a younger age and when i first started in this business quite frankly we lived off the salary she was making i wasn't making a lot of money then when we had our first child we decided it was best for her to stay home quite frankly she was making more money than i was and we made that decision but she gave up an awful lot so that I could be successful here with the Cardinals. Well, at the end of the day, she enjoyed living in St. Louis. We were three hours away from our parents. Uh, she likes living in St. Louis, had a lot of friends. It was going to have to be the perfect opportunity for me to live. Our kids enjoyed it as well. Uh, the other thing is I was also given some great advice by a mentor here, uh, a commissioner at the local uh, athletic conference, when my young oldest was in like fifth grade, he said, you know what, if you're going to look to move, you need to move now. Don't move when the kids are in high school. Yep. He said, you'll regret that and they will regret that. Yep. So make make the move now if you're going to do you're that. Do it. And, and I thought that was very good advice as well. So at the end of the day, 
it really came down to I had to weigh the happiness of the family, and I was only I would have only moved if it was the perfect situation, and that and, and I never really was presented with a situation I thought was better than here in St. Louis. No, you mentioned in, you know certainly being successful both personally and professionally, and both your kids end up going into the sports business. As one is a basketball coach, one's a strength and conditioning coach. Did you ever hope they would? directly fall in your footsteps in the in the sales route or you just kind of always knew that probably be in the sports route here's my advice i gave my kids and i would give to anyone follow your dream whatever your dream is follow it but you've got to be willing to sacrifice to accomplish that dream i think that's where a lot of people make the mistake is they they see people that are at the pinnacle in the, in, the, in the business they want to go in, and but they don't see the sacrifices they made along the way. Yep. And so I said, my one son had always said, I want to be a college basketball coach. I said, well, if you want to be a college basketball coach, do it. Go but you're going it. to have some challenges along the way. And um, and so he's at, at an NAI school, Huntington uh, University in Indiana, and he's, he's, he's loving what he's doing for a living. And, and my other son is a strength and conditioning coach at uh, Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, enjoys what he's doing as, as well. So make sure that you're, you're following your dream. And I would say that to anyone in any industry. And some industry may not be the position. Your dream may be, I want to make as much money as I can. Well, okay, go right. do that. Well, yep. but, but make sure you follow it and realize the sacrifices there. I see a lot in our business where all of a sudden when people face the tough uh, decisions, they, they, they don't want to make the sacrifice. Like in our business a lot, I see people all of a sudden, man, my friends have the weekends off. Yep. My friends make more money than I do. Yeah, they do. I would agree with that. Um, are you going to be, are, are they going to be happy in their position 10 years from now? The answer may be yes. If it is, and that makes you happy, then go that direction. And I'll help you get any position right. you can. And I'll support you if every you think, step of the way. Yeah, if you think this is best for you, I'll also help you in this business as well. You know, you, you've always done a great job of, of giving back and helping people regardless of what they want to do. But you also find time to immerse yourself in the community as you're heavily involved in fellowship of Christian athletes. And why is that important to you, Joe? You know, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes is one that I, 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 I've served on the board at certain times I'll support heavily financially. And the reason I've always been involved in that, I think it's important to have Christ involved in our schools. And the beauty of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, because it's, it's, it's driven by the students, you're able to be in the public schools. And so I think that's very important. The other part that I think is, is equally as important is the huddle coaches, which is would be the, the coaches that oversee these meetings of, of, of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. One of the things that if you look at history, um, a lot of times a coach is the most influential person of, any, uh, of, of athletes. Sometimes it's even more influential than you would have for the parents. Yep. And so anything that can help these young students grow as individuals and be better citizens, that's why I think it's heavily involved. Uh, that's why I want to be involved with that type of organization as well. No, that's great. And, you know, as we've discussed throughout here, the podcast, you've spent over 35 years with the St. Louis Cardinals and, and have a ton of great experiences. And as you look back, what's been the most rewarding part of your experience? You know, the, the, the what's rewarding about this business and it's something that I really noticed even more this year. It's the people. And one of the things I really missed this year 
is not being around people here at the ballpark. And it's, 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 the, it's, it's our fellow te- workers, our team, but it's also the fans. And the beauty of, of working in, in sports, especially ticket sales, is the diversity of people you're dealing with. I mean, I sit here and you may be dealing with the CEO of a company one day, or you may be dealing, and this is a true, true experience, an 80-year-old nun that's organizing a group outing yep. that became a really close friend of mine until she passed away at 95. And I'm not even Catholic. I mean, at the yep. end of the day, we became really, really close. Yep. And that's what's the coolest. Everybody is an expert on baseball. It's the only thing where you can have a CEO of a company and a janitor get on an elevator, and they're both experts. They have something to talk about. Yep. And you no, can absolutely. bring a community together. And that's what I miss is not seeing the people – here at the ballpark and, and, and this past year. And that's what I love about this business. And this business certainly starts and, and stops with the people, you know, that you surround yourself with, but again, whether it be coworkers or, or customers. And so, you know, Joe, this has been great. Awesome to hear a career journey that went from intern to the executive team. And so to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Absolutely. All right. What did you name your first car? <laughs> It was the Black Beauty because I got my first car when I was in college. It was it was a black Chevy Celebrity with seventy five thousand miles, and at least I had something to drive, and I drove it for five years. And uh, but it was my first car, and I was glad to have it. Nice. Did you name it anything? <laughs> uh, black Beauty. That's no, what black it was. Black Beauty. There it is. Nice. And if you had to eat uh, one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would you? What would it be? Well, this is going to be very boring, uh, but I could eat a hamburger and French fries every day. And what's interesting, I love hamburgers. I could give up other red meat. My dad would hate to hear say that since I grew up on a farm, but I could give up other red meat. But I love a good old hamburger. And and what's strange about it, I only eat French fries with hamburgers. I won't eat it with anything else. And uh, so give me a good hamburger and French fry, and I I would be happy. Well, sticking to the, to the food, if you could have dinner with one person, who would it be and why? Hey, that's a good question. I mean, I, I would say I'd love to be able to have dinner with my dad again. But the other one I would also say, if we want to look from a other figure in the past, I'm a huge college basketball fan. And I would say John Wooden would be mm-hmm. one that I think would be very entertaining, one of the greatest leaders of all time. And I think it, I think that would have been one enjoyable dinner. Yeah. No, I would have loved to have been a server at that table as well. But, you know, Joe, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Well, I think there's three that I would put on that. Uh, I think, number one, follow your dream. What, what do you want to do? What, what do you want to do 10 years from now? What do you want to do 20 years from now? And follow that dream. So there's going to be a lot of tell, people tell you you can't reach the dream, but, but you can and follow your dream. The second one, own your current position. Be the best at what you can be in that current position and own it. And the third one, and this is something that I sign on my kids' birthday cards every year, do it the right way. Uh, don't cut corners in anything in life. Um, do it the right way, I think, is, 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 is so key. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't do things the right way, and there's a lot of organizations that don't do things the right way, but don't be part of that. Do everything the right way. 
Joe, great advice. Couldn't agree more. To your point, you've mentioned a couple times in this podcast, following your dream. If it's something you want to do, go do it. Find a way and, you know, dominate your day, owning that current current role and doing it the right way. Couldn't agree more. And, and Joe, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I really appreciate your time and expertise today. Travis, thanks for what you do, and I appreciate it and continued success. Thank you so much. Again, this is Travis Apple, and thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.